Welcome to the club! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. What's leverage, you ask? Leverage is a strategic advantage. It's the power to act effectively. It's what you're going to need if you want to move forward in this music industry and make a living. Your talent, sorry to tell you, it's about 10% of the puzzle. The rest of it is going to be how you present yourself. That's why we called it the CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. Brilliant. Uh, the wordsmith that came up with that is my good friend and my co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. And what I really love about Brent, more than his handsome beard, is that he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro, how to do business like a pro. And then if that wasn't enough, he actually connects you with the pros. You can find Brent super easy at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They help you find your sound and they help you grow your audience so you can become the artist that everybody loves and so you can get paid. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That's production, singular, with no S. And there is no S because there is no other Johnny D. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm excited. I'm doing well. We got a whole lot going on right now. We do. We got a lot of balls in here. This is fun. This is cool. We got... uh, uh, like some cool guests that we want to uh, to turn everybody on to today. But before we mm-hmm. before we teach you how to hack music, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take care of some business. So first off, if you haven't joined the Climb community, do so. Search for the Climb community on Facebook. This dude, I love this community. There yeah, are there's so much back and forth going on right now that honestly, I don't know if we can if I can if, if I can be if I can say that we're in on every thread because I think I'm missing some stuff because there's so much going on. I I just haven't had a chance to look at it all, you know? And that's a good problem. Yeah. I mean, talking, you know, songwriters talking to songwriters, artists talking about marketing and, and, and how did you do this and what did you do there and people helping each other out. I love that. So, uh, ask to be let in. We let everybody in who asks, make sure that, uh, make sure two things. Now I got a new complaint. Okay. Um, (laughs) First, you got to have your picture uh, on the profile. Like if you don't have a picture, you look like a bot. I'm not going to let you in. And secondly, don't be the idiot that's out there with a private account asking to be friends with somebody. Like, because when I come back and look at you, if you've got five posts and and they're all from 2012, you look like a bot. It looks Mm -hmm. fake. You know, and so I'm not going to let you in. And you've got to do something with your privacy to when you ask somebody to be a friend. If you want them, if if we don't know who you are, we need to know that you're real, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. fair, Brent. Do you, you say so? Yeah. All right. So make sure that happens. Uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Make sure that uh, the full episodes every Tuesday come magically into your podcast player. And then we have those mini sods on Friday, which are 15 minutes of value bombs. And uh, you don't have to worry about the marketing or where you're going to find it or anything like that. Uh, leave a rating and review. That's the best, man. That, that's, that just gives people that want to stick their toe in the water a good look and, and know that we are legit. And we've been getting some great ratings and reviews. And, and if you want, make it a five-star rating. Don't be afraid to do that. Uh, and then finally, the best compliment you could give Brent and I is to share it. Tell somebody, hey, mm-hmm. hey man, that's a referral. That's like, if we say it, it's 50% true. But if you say it, it's 100% true. And tell them, man, I found really, I'm really figuring some stuff out here on this podcast. It's worth your it's worth the 20 to 30 minutes of your time to, uh, to, to give a listen to it every week. So that said, uh, Brent. Yes. Dude. It's a good day. <laughs> All right. Today, we, the first time I think we've had two guests on, on a podcast. So it's a couple firsts today. Uh, First up, we have John Pashada, and he is a managing partner for Jetpack Artist Ventures. It's a music and media firm that accelerates high-performing artists and assets. And second up, we have Wade Sutton, is president of Rocket to the Stars, is an artist services record label with clients throughout the world. Now, why they're here, both here today is because they've written a new book called Hacking Music, which is a collection of strategic frameworks for the new music marketplace, which sounds heady, but they're going to make it all simple so we can all understand it, even guys like me. So this value bomb of a book actually releases today. And I highly recommend you go pick up like 18,000 copies from wherever you can get them on um, books, Amazon, all that good stuff. Now, full disclosure, 
I, I am one of the three additional contributors for the book. So uh, you could say, hey, you're biased, or you could say, hey, that's how much you believe in it. <laughs> I like to think that's how much I believe in it. Is So I, I was like, can I, can I help? So they, uh, they let me put a few words in there. So uh, right now, that's right, mom. I have a byline in an honest to goodness book. So my mama says, thank you. And Johnny and I say, John, Wade, welcome to the climb. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. We appreciate it. So, uh, and also, uh, Wade pointed out when we were doing the uh, before we hit the red button part that uh, he's like, "Am I the only person to be on it three times?" Yes, you, Wade. No, he, congratulations. He, am I the first person to be on it three times? And yes, I said, you're the only person. Only the only person, person to be on the climb three times. Only person to be on there twice, actually. So you already held a record. I think he's just now he's just padding his stats. <laughs> I, I, like Nick Saban. The exactly. <laughs> I'm running up saving a podcast. All right, we're gonna we're gonna put a statue of you outside our Daredevil office. <laughs> so that's right. Put me in put me in a book, and I will have you on as many times as you want. So, well, man, I love this idea. I mean, first of all, guys, thanks for writing this book. I know it takes a ton of time to put this stuff together, and um, any you know insight that indie artists and songwriters out there can can get to to understand two things. Number one, how to do it, because I think just artists, artists, what am I saying? Artists generally, they miss, they get, they get mixed up between the creative mind and the business mind. And um, typically the ones who learn how to operate out of both sides of that brain very, at a very high level are the ones who do better than the ones who don't. And secondly, man, everybody's struggling in the new music industry. It's different now. It, it, they're, they're, the things that you were marketed, the way that you were marketed to, the way that it used to work, and uh, it doesn't work that way necessarily anymore. And so when you have the best friends who are the biggest rock stars and the biggest executives in the industry, if you can even get that kind of access, give you information, that's suspect. Not because they're bad people, not because they're stupid, because it's changed. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah. I think so, yeah, guys, what is the, the, the kind of the main thesis or the main point of view on this book, Hacking Music? Like, why do today's artists need what's in here? John, you want to take that or you want me to? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just think the, the rate of change, you know, every 90 days, there's a significant component of the music marketplace that changes. Uh, just recently, you know, their, uh, Spotify came out with their numbers and 20,000 songs are being added to Spotify a day. Last year, that was 30,000 a month. This, currently, it's 20,000 a day. So, you know, as genres change, as decades change, as songwriting approaches change, um, and what gets re rewarded changes, hacking music is really a collection of things that don't change. So it's really, you can think of it as a, as a rear, rear engines to a rocket. The cargo may change, your songs and your artistry may change, but the engines will. You still need to execute and think strategically about your career in new, new and different ways. So that's, that's kind of the, the theory and the thesis around hacking music. And, and you know what, if, if I can add to that, uh, th this is something Johnny had brought up about how much work goes into something like this. And and it's taken us about two years to write this book. And a couple of years ago, I was over at, at John's house. I was in Nashville and uh, he pitched this idea to me. He said, hey, I want to, you know, I want to do this book. And uh, the idea behind it was to, as, as he said, you know, provide this strategic framework for building up a business around whatever the art is, but at the same time, you know, deliver information that goes into the mindset that an artist has to adopt if they want to have any level of success. And I remember the evening he and I had that conversation. I really wanted to be a part of this the minute he pitched it to me because as somebody who came into the music business at 38 years old for the very first time, I was very much aware of these mental barriers that had to be broken through to be able to build up a business because I went up through, I went through it. I worked the, you know, the quote unquote regular day job uh, for 20 years before starting up my own business and it was not easy. So uh, I can, 
I think I'm a testament just as much as anybody that this is important is understanding not only the strategic frameworks, but there is this mindset that has to be in place. And when John pitched the book to me, you know, he made it clear. He said, I, I would like to do something that not only provides those frameworks and, and an explanation of the different strategies, but also to make sure people are aware that you do have to change your thinking if you want to have any level of success. Yeah, I think it's a it's a big thing for artists and creatives, whether songwriters or artists, to to start saying, "Hey, I, I'm I can be more than just the creative side. I can also have the business side." And kind of the joke I've I've had with people being a lyricist myself is like, "Well, I have room for like spreadsheets and stuff in my head because it's not all full of melodies." So I got lyrics and business stuff <laughs> instead of lyrics and melody. I have room, uh, but it's not just you know guys like me that you know don't have room for melodies in their heads. I mean basically anybody can pick this stuff up. Like you said, Wade, you were 38 before you started picking this stuff, stuff up. You've always been on the creative side. So I don't think this is just for a certain segment. I think it's for anybody that, you know, it's, it's the strategy, it's the way of thinking about it that can be applied by creatives, right? Definitely. Yeah. And I think in a sentence, you know, hacking music, the, the music business model canvas in hacking music is, is a collection of 80 of these force multipliers. There's strategic frameworks for the new marketplace that helps artists find their way into and through this new music world. You know, it's, it's an exciting time if you can zig and zag and uh, execute. So we're excited. Yeah. And, and when we say the strategic frameworks, I mean, really to be a little bit more specific so people get an idea of what we mean by that. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the book that jumps into things like how you build up a team around yourself. What are the personalities that you're looking for in those different people? I know there's a section in here where we jump into understanding how revenue cycles work. There's a big section of the book that focuses on uh, the different kinds of publishing agreements that are out there, the different kinds of record label models. Uh, so there, there's a lot of information that is jammed into this so that that way people have an understanding going into the book. Oh, okay. Here's some of the kinds of stuff we're going to be learning about. Man. Cool. I, and, and, and you know what? Not for nothing. Like people, if you're hearing my voice, the, you're not going to get discovered and then somebody's not going to make you famous. Like the stuff that is in this book, the things that we preach on this podcast are because you have to take responsibility for your own business and grow this business big enough so that it can mean something to somebody else. The normal methods for growing an artist brand that the record labels used to enjoy don't work anymore. And so they can't afford to find somebody that's really talented and keep them in the, under the umbrella of the record label for a couple of years while they spend a bunch of money developing, developing them. They're buying small businesses. Record labels are now acquisition based companies. So you have to have something going. You have to take the concepts and the precepts that are in this book and turn it into cash flow. It can happen. It happens every single day. And then you get big enough and you get sexy enough from a business standpoint that you're undeniable. And then all these things that you're worried about, who, where your management's going to happen, who's going to book you, who's, you know, how, how is there going to be a label that wants to sign you? These people will come out of the woodwork looking for somebody who knows how to run a business. And then their job is to throw gasoline on it in the forms of ones and zeros and, and money and, and blow it up even bigger. But you've got to start it first. Don't think about it any other way because you're wrong. And God forbid, if you're the one person that is the exception to the rule where you're so freaking good, talented, that the record level is going to sign you without an audience, without knowing how to run this business, without knowing what's going on in this book, then you're still screwed. That's a, that's a curse, not a blessing because you're not going to get out there. You know, John, you just summarized a section of the book called record labels as venture capital. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's there's a debilitating, limiting belief that says, you know, you just get signed because you're good. Mm -hmm. um, so we approach it as, you know, th this is a venture investment for record labels. If they're going to commit 10 to 30 million to you, you have to you have to bring the other side to that. So it's, it's really answering the question, who do I have to become in order to have other companies want to be in business with me? 
Yeah, I, I love that. And you know what? From an artistic standpoint, for there's a bunch of artists right now that are rolling their eyes like, oh, God, I can't stand this. Well, before, back in the heyday when you were signed, man, you'd better fit into two small boxes of, and the boxes are created by publicly traded companies. So it's art by not one committee of people who don't care about the art, but two committees that are publicly traded, the record label and radio. And so you have to, that's, that's how come if you feel like, if you're one of those artists that feel like music has really been homogenized, there's the reason. But now the, the, the beauty in this is that you don't need to be homogenized. You can do whatever you want to do. If you can find enough people that give a crap about it, and, and they're easy to find. If you can find them digitally and you can do what's in this book, then you can come in with enough weight where you can say, this is the way it's going to go down. And you can bring your art to the world and you don't have to compromise for anybody. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would say too, part, part of the reason why we wrote this book, the, the big mission was really to create the artists of the future. And we can talk about how the book does that, but you know, this the, the soul and the spirit of this book is not just to uh, think tactical execution around your music. It's really to protect music, to make music better, and to create artists that can be headliners. You know, we just lost Aretha. We lost Michael Jackson, Prince. You know, we need to be replacing those artists. And it's our belief that we're not doing a good enough job of replacement. You know. It's not a belief, John. It's a fact. You want the numbers? I'll give you the numbers really quick. La top 10 grossing tours last year, 2017. Two of the artists were over the age of 70, McCartney yeah. and, and uh, the Stones. Uh, five of the artists were over the age of 55. One was 41. That was Chris Martin, who is 20 years into his, 18 years into his career. He came out in 2000. And then Bruno Mars was 32. And Ed Sheeran was the only one that was 27. If you compare that to the top 10, and this is top 10 grossing tours, people. This is the artists who are so popular that they are able to put enough butts in seats or charge enough money to, 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 to get into that top 10. 30 years ago in 1987, the old man, the icon was Bowie. He was 40 on the Glass Spider Tour. And then you have uh, Alabama, Boston, and Huey Lewis were in their 30s, and everybody else was in their 20s. And this isn't a, a discussion about age as much as is when we're talking about both of these two the metric from last year and the metric from 30 years ago, th their age and in this situation is a direct relation to how long they've been in the business and how big of a brand name that they are. But 30 years ago, the, um, six of the artists were in their twenties. And that was the, those artists were Michael Jackson, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Whitney Houston, U2. Um, they were Madonna. They were, one or two, maybe three records into their career, they had just started to make money in that case, with the exception of Jack, Michael Jackson, who was a kid. But still, those numbers are compelling. It's like, the, like we, it's like we're harvesting the rainforest and we're not planting any new trees. And so what you're saying, John, is this book is going to teach us how to plant new trees. Yeah, that's, that's what we're out to do. We want to create and build and strengthen the artists of the future. Nothing against legacy artists. We've got friends and colleagues who are on some of the biggest tours in the world, but we need to be replacing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what happens, I mean, what happens when McCartney and the Stones and everybody dies? Like, <laughs> then what do we do? You know, right. like we, we got to have some new people to, we got to have some new superheroes. Somebody's got to fill the void. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Hey, so, and thanks guys for sending me an advanced copy of the book. I've, I've been, I've been reading through it and some that really caught my eye was chapter two, the artist is hacker. And if we can, I'd like to dive into that just a little bit. Uh, Cause I think it'd be something super relevant for our audience here. So um, artist is hacker for our audience, for the climbers out there. What is, what do y'all mean by that? Sure. Artist as hacker, and this will be a good kind of on-ramp into the book because it's a small part of the book, but it's a foundational part of the book. Um, Artist as hacker is, is basically taking a hacker worldview and applying it to the artist worldview in a way that allows them to work better, faster, and smarter and to create better art. 
Um, so there's 10 components of the artist is hacker. Um, Wade, do you want to kind of read, kind of hit, hit on those real quick and just kind of. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what, the approach that we took with chapter two was, and this goes back to what I said kind of earlier on in the podcast about how, when I came into the business, uh, I had all these mental barriers that I had to break through. So this second chapter actually details a lot of the things that, that I had to deal with uh, in understanding how business works. So the 10 points that we presented in this chapter were one, forgiveness is better than permission. Uh, two, team beats talent. Three, missionaries beat mercenaries. Uh, four, different is better than good. Five, future is greater than nostalgia. Six, something that we call the third way, which I love. Uh, seven, called the cupcake hack. Eight, the KPI hack. Nine, resourcefulness beats resources. And the 10th one is called fight beats want. Oh, love it. Yep. Uh, number seven sounds especially tasty, the cupcake one. It does. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> well, we started point number one. Forgiveness uh, is greater than permission. So, uh, which I certainly believe that, but uh, dive into that one just a little bit. What's, give us a little deeper taste of that. You know, we, we both have a belief, and, and Johnny, I think I've heard you talk about this before. I've heard several people talk about it in business. Gary Vaynerchuk brings it up. It's this idea that, you know, you've got a lot of people who don't act on things because it's like they're waiting for somebody to give them permission to go out and start doing the things that they want to do. Uh, there are some people who in that process, they're afraid to do anything that is going to rock the boat. So the, this idea of the hacker worldview and how it applies to music, when you think about it, hackers, they don't typically care if they're going to upset people. They would rather go out and, and do something, whatever it is that they're seeking out to do, and then ask for forgiveness later if it ends up rocking the boat or upsetting people. Um, I, you know, I've seen that. I saw it in my own career when I started the singing competition that ultimately led to me being in the music business. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is we, I wanted to broadcast the finals of that competition on one of the radio stations that I was working at. And I remember clearly the day I went in and I pitched the idea to the general manager of our, our, our cluster of radio stations. And he basically was about to laugh me out of the office. And I said, okay, well, I said, if we're not going to do it, here's what's going to happen. I said, the people who are, are helping me with this are going to ask me to go to our competitors at the time, Clear Channel, not iHeartRadio, uh, their radio stations in nearby Youngstown, Ohio, and pitch the idea to them. And I said, and they're going to do it, which means then we are going to have to explain to management in our company while, uh, why our biggest competitors came into our backyard and did an event we should be doing. Mm -hmm. How'd that I go, thought, How'd that go I, over? <laughs> I thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> but he caved. And uh, we ended up putting that final show on our 50,000 watt FM country station. Mm -hmm. And it was a big success in part because of that. So that's, you know, that's a, a great story that really falls in line with this, this idea of forgiveness is greater than permission. Awesome. Yeah, um, we probably all have stories of that. As, as a summary, it's like a bias towards action is essential. Yes. Mm -hmm. you can't win the future without a bias towards action. That's true because nobody gets invited into this business. I, I think about it like football. We're all walk-on players. None of us are given a scholarship. We got yeah. just like, I'm going, and I'm going to try and earn a roster spot. Boy, that's a good way to put it. I think that's what so many artists suffer from is they're just waiting for that A&R guy to come knock on their front door and say, hey, when you're done pulling on that bong, you should come be a rock star. <laughs> we want to throw at you. All right. <laughs> to get recruited. Yeah. Doesn't work that way. Okay. Yeah. And, and it goes back to what John had said, you know, the focus is on action and, and really that, per, that idea permeates a lot of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. Love that. So section two of, of this chapter is team is greater than talent. First of all, amen, brother, but yeah. uh, dive into that just a little bit. Yeah. I, I think the way tomorrow works is, is that when you win, you win as a team. Mm-hmm. Talent alone is no longer sufficient. Um, there's the phrase uh, I read recently that, you know, talent wins high school, but teams win in life. And that's, 
we're big believers in building a brain around our artists. Um, we use, and this kind of, this section points to a section later in the book called the super team section. And basically what it is, is, is there are four roles for any uh, functioning successful team. And it's called the PI methodology, P-A-E and I. And just kind of stepping through those quickly, the P person is the producer. He likes to go hunt. He likes to put points on the board. He's a meat eater. He likes to win, win, win. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very important for any team. The A role is the administrator, the detail, the person that moves slow and methodically and likes to get everything correct. Really important role. The E role is the entrepreneur, the visionary role. They're usually the founder and they have the ability to see around corners and to really identify opportunities and solutions. Really important as well. All, all four of these have to be functioning. The last role is the I role and that's the integrator. This is the person that is kind of the glue of the company. They have an antenna up for culture and, and making sure that they can, that everybody kind of feels a part of it. Um, really important, really important role. So what happens on, on unsuccessful teams is you have two P's and maybe an I, or you have three I's and an A. So there's no real balance or alignment within uh, successful teams. But when you, when you start to really bring a successful team together, all four of these have to be identified. And then what happens is teams with these four roles or temperaments start to build momentum, start to put points on the board, start to scale and really win in a way that helps the artist. So we go into it much deeper into the super team section, but just as a quick summary, that's kind of the pie methodology that we talk about. So, so let's, let's apply what he said, what's, what he's talking about here. What John's talking about guys is being intentional about the ingredients that are in your soup, right? Like who's hello Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. What's everybody's uh, highest and best value within the organization? And then make sure that they're doing that. Um, it's no different if you think about it. You've heard Brent and I talk many times when, like when I have an artist that I need to, we're, we're out getting them to do co-writes with writers. I'm very cognizant of putting them with Brent Baxter, who's a lyricist. And then I'm also going to need a melody person that's that that is a pro that knows how to write a song so that I can get the highest and best out of 
that artist. So we've got one person who I know is, is an expert in extremely creative and excels in lyrics. Another person that excels in melody. And we put that together with an artist with a hunger that wants to get there. And we do that enough times, we're going to get a good song. And, and uh, this is the same thing that John's talking about. It sounds, maybe it sounds like a little Greek to you right now, but it's really no different than that you're making music, but on the business side, and you just have to make sure that you've got the pieces in place and, and know step one is know how to identify what you need and know that you need it. Step two is to, Hey, what are we missing? You know, what do we have and what are we missing? Right. And then, then you start to make moves. Yeah. hundred hundred percent. Right. Johnny. And I, I think there's a limiting belief here that says just because I'm talented, the world is going to come to me. But mm-hmm. what we're talking about with the team is greater than talent part is, is, is that you have to build a brain around the artist. The artist is important, but if your artist is going to execute and win at high levels, there's other roles that are essential to that team. And that's, that's what the pie methodology is about. Love that. That's right. Excellent. Uh, so section three, I'll talk about missionaries are greater than mercenaries. Um, which is cool. And uh, you start off with a quote from, uh, from the departed, that movie. So Johnny may like that, but it says, I have a question. Do you want to be a cop or do you want to appear to be a cop? It's an honest question. A lot of guys just want to appear to be cops, gun badge, pretend they're on TV. So let's dive into that a little bit. How are missionaries greater than mercenaries? What we focused on with this was really identifying the motives of the people who you surround yourself with. Um, you know, there, and this isn't a knock on, on people who are trying to make a living and, and, and trying to create an income for themselves. But what we really look for are people who are coming on board because the main motivator for them is because they believe in the artist. Uh, that artist motivates them. They look at them. Actually, uh, Johnny and I, we have a, a, a common associate, James Meany, the voice instructor from Western mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Uh, James, I've heard him say several times that he's, he's always on the lookout for an artist who inspires him to feel like he just has to ride shotgun. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what, what we're getting at with this is, is what are the person's motivating factors? Why do they want to be around? And the reason for that is because the people who are there because they believe in you, yes, there might be an income uh, that is generated because of their role in your business, but they are passionate about the artists. They believe in them. Those are the people who are going to work much harder for you. Um, you know, we all know that the music business is one where, you know, you have your peaks and valleys and when you're hitting those valleys and you're out on the highway hitting potholes and speed bumps and every other thing, the missionaries are the ones who are going to be more likely to stick around with you through those difficult times. And that stability is a big benefit to a music business that's, that's being grown and created. Very cool. Very cool. I love section four. Different is greater than good, um, which I think is so true in on the creative side, uh, but also on the business side, how you approach things. So how are artists as hackers, how should they be focused on different is greater than good? I mean, do you sacrifice good to be different? How does that balance out? What do you guys mean by that? John, you want to take that? Yeah, sure. Being good is fine. You want to be excellent at what you do. Mm-hmm. But what sets you apart is, is how you differentiate. So we get into this much deeper into, in, into the different, in the differentiation chapter of the book, but there's kind of four, four questions that people need to ask in order to become what's called a blue ocean. There's blue oceans that are completely original and they don't compete on price. Then there's red oceans that compete on price. There's lots of competition. It's bloody waters. It's not a good situation. So the artists that get to be a blue ocean, the Taylor Swifts, the Journeys, um, those kind of artists who don't really compete with anybody, they're their own competition. They've answered these four questions. And I'll just, it's called the ERC framework, E-R-R-C. Uh, and, and they answer four questions. The first one is, is what factors should be eliminated from what is currently an industry standard? 
So what are the things that we're going to kill completely? Mm-hmm. Uh, the second question is what factors need to be reduced well below what is currently an industry standard. Um, the third question is what factors need to be raised well above what is currently standard. And the fourth question is what factors should we create that have never been offered? So when you wrestle through these four questions over time, you really start to differentiate yourself from all the other people in the red ocean, the people that play in blues bands, the people that go to songwriters nights, you know, and there's just a gazillion blues bands out there. There's no differentiation. Um, So answering those four questions is really, that's really how you be, how you get to become a blue ocean and be different. Some people do this intuitively. Other people really, think through these questions and, and really struggle with it and process it over time. But uh, that that's kind of how we think about differentiation. Okay. So would an example of that be like, say industry standard has been, you, you hold your, you go in the studio, you record your record, you put out like one record every year and a half to two years. And you just go one single and you work that for six months or a year. And then you do the next single and that sort of thing that the traditional album cycle. And so yeah. maybe something get to more blue ocean might be, well, I don't do albums. I just do release a new single every month, something like that. Is that yeah. like an example? Okay. I was trying to break it down into terms to, so my brain can understand it. You look at it over time. You really have to look at it in the context of where you are today. So mm-hmm. in the past, it could be, you know, guitar solos, were eliminated when Nirvana happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, boy bands kind of became eliminated at one point. Uh, big reverb-drenched mixes went away, and then all of a sudden, bone-dry mixes were the thing. Um, so you re- it's really an ongoing evolution of answering these questions. It's like, how do we, how do we set, our part, set ourselves apart from everybody else that's kind of playing in the red ocean? And... Uh, so th- this is kind of this is kind of the the steps we take with our artists to really think through getting to a, a place where you're standing on your own two feet and you're not competing with everybody else on the planet. I love that. And creatively, uh, I mean, they're going to relate to that creatively. Like, look at what Taylor Swift did. That was so genius. She created a lane that didn't even exist. Right. Like there, there was nobody in country music that was speaking to the teenagers. The demographic was much larger. So even when the child artists came in, like Tanya Tucker back in the day, like um, like um, who else am I thinking of? That did, Leanne Rimes. Leanne Rimes. Thank you. Um, they, they, were, yeah, they were singing more adult songs and, and she came in and said, let's let's bring the lyrics into the schoolyard and make it about, uh, you know, you wear high heels. I wear sneakers. You're a cheer captain. I'm on the bleachers. That, that, that's very visually young and there was nobody to compete with there. And it mm-hmm. was brilliant. And she created this mon- monster fan base, right? Kiss right. did it with the makeup. Um, yeah. Everybody's going to answer these differently, Johnny. So Taylor's going to come up with a different set of answers than Journey did. Kiss mm-hmm. is going to do it better, different than Coheed and Cambria. So there's no right or wrong answer. It's just how do you how do you wrestle this down to earth and apply it to yourself, whether you're Coheed and Cambria or Taylor Swift, totally different answers. Yep. Yeah. And you talk about the Taylor Swift thing and and how right after she blew up, I mean, I, I remember it on music row, all of a sudden you had a legion of, you know, long blonde hair girls in, in dresses and cowboy boots with their momager, you know, their mom manager, uh, and acoustic guitars walking up and down music row and coming in NSAI and that sort of thing. And, and you can tell they're all like, I'm the next Taylor Swift. But as you point out in the book, we already had one by then. Yep. We didn't need another one. That's why there hasn't been another one who came right out and did that. And think so, about, think about what Andrew Lou Goldham did with the stones, right? Now he was Brian Epstein's uh, assistant and watched exactly what Epstein did with the Beatles. We talked about that earlier in the podcast here. Well, the Beatles were clean cut. Their, their hair was long, but they were coiffed and they were, uh, they wore the black suits and the ties and they bowed after they were, they were this cute little sticky sweet thing that the girls right. could bring home to mom and dad. And Andrew yeah. Lou Goldham 
very intentionally and very intelligently said, okay, you need to be the opposite of that. If we're going to, if we're going to make some headway into the marketplace. So I want you to be dangerous. I want you to be the secret. I want you to have to keep this record underneath your mattress. So your mom doesn't find it. You know? Yeah. That's a great example, Johnny, because both of those, the stones and the Beatles are blue oceans. Yep. You can't beat the Beatles, but you can create your own blue ocean that is kind of in parallel with them. You know, totally different, but, you know, look, here we are today with, you know, the Stones and the Beatles are still uh, important, relevant entities. Great That's example. Right. Mm-hmm. I love this book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I've been thumbing through going, yep, and Johnny's all over that part. Johnny's all over that part. You're going to love that? So, this is like porn for the music industry. I yeah. love it. <laughs> oh, man, it's got spreadsheets and stuff. I got so excited when I saw that SWOT analysis, but we won't go into that. Um <laughs> So, all right. Section five is is another good one. The future is greater than nostalgia, and this is something that we've hammered on this podcast for you climbers out there. But um, the jetpack mantra: appreciate the music of the past, live in the present, write the songs of the future. So, how is the future uh, greater than nostalgia, and what is that kind of nostalgia trap? that too many artists fall into back in my day, we used to do it like this. That that's the trap. That's, that's how Madonna trap. did it. That's how Leonard Skinner did it. Right. Exactly. And, and you know, it's funny because when you go through this and, and you read it and you start applying it, you, you realize that, uh, in this particular situation, we're talking about both the creative and the business side. Um, because obviously we address the music artist that goes, and I understand, I, I understand why this happens on the creative side. Uh, people become inspired to become, to become musicians because they fell in love with somebody else's music and that moved them to fall in love with the art. So I understand how that creates a tendency to want to either mimic or follow in the footsteps of that, that individual that, uh, that served as the inspiration. But again, going back to what you guys said about, about Taylor, and, and we mentioned it here in the book that you know, suddenly you had this legion of, of blonde-haired girls and sundresses and, and cowgirl boots. Um, you need to find something that's going to be different from that. And that's going to be your new future. That's what it is on the creative side. But even if you look at it on the business side, you know, the big thing is, is how the delivery of the media has changed over the years. You know, we've gone through in a very short time period, when you think about it, by comparison to the A-track days and the LP days and even cassettes, you know, we've gone through CDs and now we're dealing with MP3s. And um, really, we've even gotten away from the idea of music ownership and made the shift over to streaming. Mm-hmm. So it's about understanding that. It's about understanding the quote we have in here. Uh, it, one of them is from Tom Friedman, who was a Pulitzer Prize winner. And he it really was a great question. What is the world we live in? So what's going on now? What's going to be going on over the next five years? And, and how can you take that and implement, implement that into your business and make decisions based off of that? And can I, can I add something to that? But yes. this, this subject matter right here is the very foundation of what Daredevil production is built on. Mm. And one of the regular quotes that I give when we're talking with a potential new client who, who's come in and wants to know what we're about, what we're doing, and I'd straight up tell them this, and here's the secret for everybody that's specifically in this industry right here in the music industry. I tell them, Look, I'd love to tell you that I got a crystal ball and then I'm a super genius, but the reality is if you go up to 60,000 feet and take a look at the whole, the whole thing, the music industry is going through a 25-year delayed reaction to the disruption of the internet. If you want to know what to do moving forward, start looking at all the other industries. Look at the way they're doing the social media. Look at the way they're doing their marketing. That's where the music industry is headed. But when you factor in the, um, I mean, just really, I think this is so important, but look at what happened to the travel industry as a disruption of the internet, right? The, the, every little faded map dot in America had a travel agent. They're gone because the creators of the product or service can now do business directly with the end user. Look at what happened to the auto industry. The big auto companies own 
most, like over 70% of all the dealerships that are out there. And just 25 years ago, they used to be privately owned dealerships, but they don't need them to sell the cars anymore because all the buying decisions are being made online. So once again, the creator of the product or service is doing business directly with the end user. And then look at computers in the electronics industry. Dell came out in, uh, in uh, 2000 or in the in the 1990s with Dell computer he was the first one to go direct and Wade if I asked you a question uh, for generations and generations the most the wealthiest families in the state of Texas are in what industry oh well for generations oil Oil. Exactly. So think about this. You have, I mean, you have at least four or five generations of massive amounts of wealth accumulation. Oil. We're talking oil money, right? You know, they, everybody's got their own term for how big that is. Multi-billionaires. And in seven years, Michael Dell becomes the richest Texan. And as of now, it's not by a little bit. He can buy and sell the richest oil family two times over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because he did something different. But if you look at what they're doing and then think about this. The, the main delivery mechanism for the drug of choice that we call music has always been radio. And radio was working just fine in the 90s. You had two choices, listen to what you own or listen to the radio. And then through the 2000s, pretty much the same thing. Listen to what you own or, or listen to the radio. And we come out in the June 29th with the iPhone of 2007. And then Spotify's in 2009, but it's only in Europe. It doesn't come to America until 2011. And it takes five to seven years to sort of really get in the, into the mind of the marketplace and, and to have that behavior modification happen out in the marketplace. And John, to your point before, what was the number again? Repeat that. Last year, how many songs were being uploaded every single month? Or was that you, Wade, that said that? John brought that up. 30,000 a month last and, year. And now how much is it? 20,000 a day. Okay, so there's the statistic on how much this whole new technology has worked its way into the mind of consumers, into the mind of the masses, okay? And you can see it's taken, this is new. This is still relatively new for the music industry. So I love to tell people, like, we're so smart, we're geniuses, and we are doing it counterintuitively and completely different than the rest of the industry, but I'm just doing what everybody else is doing outside the industry. Shh. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's exactly right, Johnny. I mean, in, in the Achilles heel, the limiting belief here is, is, you know, is that nostalgia just kind of sucks you into it. It's like, uh, you know, you love the Beatles or you love the Stones and then like your world rotates around that. And to create the future, you really need to get excited about the future. Uh, Bob Left, Lefsa said recently, you know, you don't play the game, you create the game. Yes. And artists that will win in the future are those that create the game that they want to play. I love that. Say that again. I love legacy artists. We work with some very well-known artists. Um, But, but, you know, that's already been done. That's been identified. That's, that's a done deal. We want to create and participate and grow the artists of the future. You know, going going back to what John said about uh, you know you don't you don't play the game you make the game and this kind of goes back to to Johnny bringing up the way that the travel industry uh, has been disrupted by the internet. I, you know, it's not just that everybody has a travel agent, but I mean, think about because of the internet being what it is and in social media being what it is everybody and their brother seems to have the ability to plan Disney vacations for people. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, and, and they, they get clients because friends, family, people who know them, people that follow them on Facebook and maybe see their posts talking about it. They start thinking, Oh, I'm planning a trip to Disney. You know who I should call? A lot less of them seem to be calling AAA and some of these other travel agencies. Now they're calling these people who are running these blogs and these sites that they're seeing talking about it on social media that's significant disruption in an industry. Yes. And those people who are doing that, who are writing these blogs, uh, talking about the, the, the way to plan out the best Disney vacation ever, they're creating the game. Right. Yeah. The new game, the new game. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really, no, that's a whole nother conversation. I can talk about this forever. I love this stuff, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else we're going to cover? 
Yeah, let's look at section uh, six real quick. Uh, the third way. The yeah. third way. What do we got on that? So, so real quick, I mean, we, we just to spend a few minutes on here. The third way, there's kind of two ways of seeing the world. One is a zero-sum way, and the other is, is a growth way. One is about scarcity, and the other is about accretively building value. So, you know, a lot of artists get in this pat this swim lane of you know I'll, I'll either win the voice competition or i won't i'll either get accepted to belmont or i won't i'll either get the song used in the movie or i won't it's a binary approach win lose um but what we're excited about and what we try to think about is not winning a contest it's about creating something that accomplishes the same goal but does it in a way that is is a little smarter. So it asks the question, what do I have to learn, do, or become that builds leverage? And, and Johnny, I know you, you talk about leverage a lot on the podcast and I think you're a thousand percent right. You know, who, who wants to be in business with me? Who do I, what do I need to do to make people want to be in business with me? So the third way uses outside the box thinking uh, that forces artists to leave their comfort zone. It, it, the third way usually involves what we call smart risk. It usually requires a set of steps, you know, that to get there, it's a process. Um, it, the third way usually includes additional members to your team. Um, but it benefit the third way benefits all the parties involved. So it kind of moves the artist outside of a lottery mindset and into a, Hey, what do we need to, build here that really is valuable um and and, and, and and that mindset in general is what can i do for them what's gonna what's in it for them what's going to make and it has to be more than 50 percent of the back end of my songs man we're gonna be huge like <laughs> you know like something right now right yeah yeah it's very much it's very much a joint venture world that we live in you know Party A brings X to the table. Party B brings kind of a complimentary bucket to the table. And it's like, how do we win together? Um, we did a joint venture some years ago with Garth Brooks company. And, you know, it was a very different deal. It wasn't a traditional publishing deal. Um, but, you know, we, we had some songs that were nominated for song of the year and video of the year. Um, so it's like that's that's kind of the way business gets done nowadays. You you don't, you know, the, the you you're not going to win a lottery, and if you do, it's a, it's going to end up being a curse. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the quick and dirty on the third way. And by the way, the lottery, the whole lottery thing is is naive. I don't care what industry you're in, and it's lazy. It just means yeah. that you know what? I don't have to do anything. Everybody's just going to come to me, and that's the way that it's going to happen. Otherwise, I'm going to keep working my day job. A friend of mine hit it. I think he summarized it best. He said, "If you're in a battle of the bands, you've already lost." <laughs> Man, when, <laughs> when I was an artist, we did one of those. And when I was when I saw what was going on, I'm like, "This is a freaking popularity contest. This isn't yeah, anything to do with." And this is the dumbest waste of our time. And we only drove 30 minutes to get there. But I felt like I can't get this this moment of my life back. You know, it's yeah. gone. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to get a T-shirt that says that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in a battle of the bands, you've already lost. I yeah. love that. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, guys, where can people, there is so much information in this book and you've listened. It's not a, if you want to think this way, I can tell you straight up, if you plan on trying to, to make it. And when I say make it, that's whatever that means to you. To me, it means just being able to make a living and have the living that you want to have. Maybe start a family, get your kids to school, be able to afford a car and not live in, you know, in a basement somewhere. Like if you can make a living making music, if that's what your goal is, this isn't something that you should consider doing. It's something that you have to do. You have to do it. If you don't do it, it won't happen, I promise. If you want to grow corn because you like to eat corn, you have to plant corn. It doesn't just, you don't sit around and wait for God to, you know, shoot up a corn thing right by your folding chair with your beer koozie and 
your sunglasses. That would be kind of cool though. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's awesome. So, Hey, I just want to take a moment, share a couple of things that other people are saying about hacking music. Uh, Here's a quote from Steve Thompson. He's a producer engineer for guns and roses, appetite for destruction. You might've heard of it. John Mm -hmm. Lennon, a new guy, he might do all right. Mick Jagger, David Bowie, Korn, Wu-Tang Clan, and Metallica. And I think that's the first time I've ever, ever said Wu-Tang Clan. This quote is, do you want to be the first in your own line of originals or the last in a long line of, line of imitators? If Harvard had a course on the new music industry, this would be the textbook. That's pretty strong. And speaking of Harvard, you spoke on this book at Harvard. And we did, back textbook. in April. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did a soft launch there at, at – uh, the Music Entrepreneur Conference. It was the first year they had that event there and uh, we went and talked on uh, hacking music there. It was a blast. That's awesome. So there, there's some other cred for you, Harvard. So where can folks, where can climbers go pick up hacking music? Well, they can go onto Amazon. They can do a search for hacking music book and that'll pop right up there. And one of the things that you'll see when you go to that page is uh, the price of the book might jump out to some people. It's $89. The reason for that is because this is actually a textbook quality book. Um, It is not light reading. Uh, There are a lot of exercises that are in there. There's actually a workbook that when you you purchase the book and you start reading through it, you're going to find a link that's going to take you over to the Jetpack Hacking Music website where you're going to be able to download a workbook so you can actually do a lot of the exercises that are in there. So that's why the book is priced in the manner that it is at $89. And it's also being considered by the folks at Belmont University. Uh, for use as a possible textbook, which is something that uh, John and I are both very excited about. So uh, $89, if you go over to Amazon, we actually have three copies of the book that we would love to give away to uh, listeners of The Climb. Yes. Awesome. Yes. And and what we can do, I you know, we talked earlier about the idea of uh, forgiveness, uh, be, or forgiveness being greater than permission. And I told that story about what happened with the the boss at the radio station. I would love to hear similar stories from people who are in the climb community because there there has to be other people who have uh, similar stories about things that they've done throughout the course of their careers. My dogs are barking in the background. Um, (laughs) They'll ask for forgiveness later. They will. They will ask for (laughs) forgiveness later. So if, uh, if your listeners, if they're interested in winning one of the three copies of the book, they can jump online, they can post a video of them telling their story. And when they do that, if they hashtag climb show and hashtag hacking music, we'll go through there and we'll pick out three winners from all the people who do that and send a copy of the book to them. Awesome. So jump on social, share your forgiveness is greater than permission story and hashtag climb show, hashtag hacking music. We'll go and we'll pick a winner and we'll, we'll holler at you and we'll announce it on the show coming up. Absolutely. I love Excellent. it. I love it. I love it. Thank you guys. Wait, where can people find this book guys? Amazon. Yep. Amazon.com hacking yep. music. Jump mm-hmm. on Amazon, type in hacking music book and it will pop right up for you. Well, fantastic. Hey, fellas, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, hang out with us and and really kind of dig into this a little bit, man. I could seriously talk to you guys for 10 hours straight about this stuff. uh, I get so excited about it. But um, uh, guys, so there you go. Hacking Music, Amazon.com. Wade Sutton, John Pashada. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, Once again, guys, if we join the climb community and... uh, Discover other people that are, have the same kind of passion, the same kind of dreams that you do. We're talking with each other. We're helping each other out on songwriting. Just ask to be let in. We let everybody in who asks, and we'll roadhouse you if you're, you're spammy terrorists, so don't worry about that. We take care of that pretty quick, don't we, Brent? <laughs> um, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Make sure that uh, all these episodes come magically into your phone. Thirdly, share it with somebody. That's the greatest compliment you could give to us. Tell somebody else what kind of value you're getting from it. The numbers keep growing. We're breaking records every single month. We've got some big news that we're going to announce here shortly. And um, that's on account of just straight up the content. People like the content. They listen to one. They want to listen to more. So you're going to be cool if you share it. And then finally, take five minutes and leave a rating review. This podcast exists because we want you to win, guys. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.